The Tablet Show, episode 83, with guests Greg Levenhagen, Sam Basu, and Mitchell Sellers. Recorded live Friday, April 26th, 2013. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, recorded at Code Palooza, Carl and Richard talk to Greg Levenhagen, Sam Basu, and Mitchell Sellers about the state of Windows 8 development. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Hey, Lolo! It's the Tablet Show! Well, that's what they mean by Code Palooza! God, I love this town. <laughs> We've been having a great time. Yeah, we're at Code Palooza in Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville, Kentucky! Woo! Yeah! The motherland of all that is good in bourbon. Yes. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers to all of you. Cheers to all of you. Thank you. Thanks for your hospitality. Mm. We went on a couple of uh, bourbon tours. Yes. Distilleries. Baker's Mark. Uh, Heaven Hill. Yeah, we went to Buffalo Trace uh, and um, Woodford. Woodford and Four Roses. Four Roses. Should we say what our favorite is? We probably should. Ah, uh, no. We'll make people. We're mad. drinking it. Yeah, so we're drinking it. It's bourbon, no question. All right, let's get started right away with uh, Better No Framework. All right, buddy, what do you got? So today I went looking in the Windows App Store on my phone, my Windows phone, my Nokia Lumia 920. And uh, I l- was looking for the top free app today. Mm. You know what it is? Any guesses? No idea. It's got to be a fart app, I presume. No, no. Oh, it's actually a useful app. It's Pandora. Oh, of course. Anybody use Pandora? Pandora? Oh, yeah. Half the room uses Pandora. Pandora is great because, you know, you can just say, I like this band. Play me music from that band or that artist. Right. And uh, it suggests other music that you might like based on the scientific analysis of that music. It's really creepy, is, actually. Yeah, kind of spooky. So the problem with Pandora is it only works in the United States. Yeah. And so you can't get in Canada. The uh, whole rest of the world is sort of bummed about that. But there is an alternative to Pandora called Django. Mm. Do you know about Django? I do not. J-A-N-G-O. Django.com. And although they don't have a Windows Phone app, mm-hmm. if you go there with your browser, it works just fine. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it's pure HTML5. And it works all over the world. Works all over the world. You can create yourself an account so you have ad-free. And unlike Pandora, you will get unsigned bands and give them thumbs up or thumbs down. Cool. So you'll hear music that nobody's heard. Yeah, including Franklin Brothers. Are you you on there? Yeah, I'm on there. I'm on Pandora and on Django. Okay. Yeah, Franklin Brothers, Lifeboat to Nowhere. The new one. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so it, and it's really cool. And we get a lot of great comments from people all over the world. Got a comment from someone who used to live up the street from me when, uh, you know, junior high school. And now was in a, a school, teaching at a school in, where were they, Thailand. Okay. Listening to Django, said, 
hey, that sounds like Carl Franklin. <laughs> and it sure was. enough, it was. was Left a me a comment. It's pretty cool. It's just wild. Neat. So Django, J-A-N-G-O. Cool. No, it learned love. No, it learned love. Who's talking to us, Richard? I grabbed a comment off of show 72, and that's the one we did a while ago with Rocky Lotka about using WinRT apps in the Enterprise. And, you know, Rocky uh, had some fairly challenging things to say because, let's he face did. it, that story's not all that strong right now. We've read nope. a few comments from this show. Yeah. Uh, and this comment comes from Nick Dowling, who says, Rocky raises PHP and Linux as a possible alternative to developing line-of-business Windows 8 apps. But if you are a Microsoft shop, the technology that is likely to cause a stir is the new LightSwitch HTML5 client. Yeah. Is there a simpler way to create forms over data apps that can be deployed on Windows, iPad, and Android tablets that still lets you use your existing Microsoft infrastructure? Mm. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. It's pretty uh, Given that it would probably be easier to port the existing Silverlight client to the Windows 8 XAML, the fact that the LightSwitch team have chosen to develop an HTML client instead indicates that they think that's where the market will go. Yeah. And that's from Nick Dowling, who we've had comments from him before. And just a little backstory on this. If you haven't been paying attention, LightSwitch, which was a great sort of high-level tool for building a Silverlight app, they created uh, a way that you can just flip a switch and it will output HTML, JavaScript, CSS. Yep. So, good story there. Yeah, very exciting. And, and yeah, incredibly portable clients. So. Yeah. Good stuff. Hey, Nick, thanks so much for your comment. I agree. It's a very cool option. I'm wondering if they're not going to go even further and I literally make like a WinJS client. You know what they really need to do with LightSwitch? Yeah. Make a Metro client. Absolutely. Generate. Like they go all the way. Go all the way. So, Nick, thank you for your comment. And a coveted tablet show mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a tablet show mug, just write a comment on the website at thetabletshow.com. Well, we're here at Code Palooza, as I said before, with uh, three distinguished speakers, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves right now. Starting with you, Sam. All right. Well, good evening, everyone, and thanks for coming out. Thanks to Richard and Carl for having us on the Tablet Show. My name is Sam, Sam Basu. I'm a senior software trainer with Telerik. Uh, Long-term history with Microsoft Technologies and uh, a lot of Windows 8 in the recent past. So glad to be here. Welcome. Uh, my name is Mitchell Sellers. I'm uh, the CEO of Iowa Computer Gurus uh, Inc., Microsoft uh, C Sharp MVP. Um, speak at a lot of conferences, work with Windows 8 and uh, all of the new stuff quite a bit. So thanks for having me as well. And like they said, thank you. Uh, my name is Greg Levenhagen. I work as a senior software engineer for Skyline Technologies, uh, primarily focused on the mobile side of things and in particular Windows 8 development. All right, so we're talking about Windows 8. That's the topic of the day. What is, uh, what's been your experience with Windows 8, Greg? Uh, so the adoption is a little bit slower from my particular client base than I'd like to see, but I see a lot of developer interest in it, as well as um, some, some exciting possibilities in the market space for us uh, to potentially make money and enter into a much bigger market uh, compared to the existing solutions. And are you talking about consumer apps? or Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for, on the developer side, talking business to consumer, uh, the enterprise still has ways to catch up, partially because of the conversation you guys had with Rocky, but as well as just the adoption strategy of, sure. you know, of getting that in place. And are you working on Windows 8 apps for your uh, company right now? Yes. So a couple different solutions. Microsoft has what they call the MAP program. And it stands for uh, Microsoft Application Acceleration Program. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, working with a couple enterprise-level customers to get uh, Microsoft paid developer time uh, where they get a device, they get a proof of concept done so that they can see how Windows 8 
can potentially work within their ecosystem. Wow, that's kind of cool, actually. That's, yeah. that's going an extra mile to actually build the prototype for the company. It is, it is very cool because I, you know, just my understanding of the development world of, of cross-platform stuff, I don't know of a company that has put forth that much effort, monetarily mm. speaking, to get their platform uh, under consideration. Mitch, what's been your experience? Uh, well, I think a lot of it, I, I would agree with what uh, he mentioned quite a bit is in regards to, you know, I'm seeing a lot of interest. I'm seeing a lot of developer interest. Um, client-wise, my client base is still, um, most of my client base is on ASP.NET stuff. Uh, a lot of my Windows 8 work has all been stuff that I'm working on um, as things that my company is trying to push out. Um, so I'm primarily building internal apps? Either internal apps, um, or we're also getting a little bit into the commercial side of things as well. Okay. Um, you, know, you mean commercial consumer, enterprise or, or commercial retail? Consumer. Okay. Consumer side. Um, you know, we're just, we're seeing a little bit of varying adoption. I think the biggest thing I see is, you know, really the potential market share as a developer and talking with a lot mm. of the others that are doing it, you know, it exposes a consumer base that's very, very large. When right. you think of, you know, the number of Surface tablets as well as just Windows 8 machines in general. Um, I think it's a market that if you're building something consumer-focused, it really, there's a lot of potential there. It's just getting there. Yeah, because, I mean, they're talking barely a million WinRT devices sold. Yep, 7.5%. Uh, yeah, and, and some Surface Pros, like I don't yep. know how many, well, I guess it's two parts of this. Obviously, there's lots of Win 8 licenses out there. Right. But how many people are actually using Metro? And we could say that because none of us work for Microsoft. That's right. So how many Metro, how many people are spending time in the Metro space if they would care about a Metro app? Yeah. And that's actually, that's the hardest part that I've seen so far is, you know, I use Windows 8 on all of my devices all day, mm -hmm. but I, the only time I'm in the, you know, Metro interface is when I'm on my RT device. Right. That's pretty much it. When I'm on my, my laptop or my Ultrabook, I'm never in You're that. living in the desktop. Yeah. yeah. I live in the desktop all the time. Right. You're so not, not alone, man. It, yeah, this is what we do. That's the hardest part with adoption, I think, more than anything, is just that it's, it's a different paradigm that yeah. you have to get more users out Yeah, there. you pull that thing out on a plane, and you've got an audience. Every right. single time. Yeah. It is that's true. I, I know I've sold at least two or three surfaces yep. by letting the person sitting next to me play with mine on the plane. And if I'm, and if I'm going to be a difficult person, I would say, so it's like having a two-headed dog. <laughs> Everybody wants to have a look. Oh, I don't know. Same I thing don't with think Windows so, Phone is the same way, though. Right? I get the same thing when I play with my Windows Phone on a plane. Right. Well, I, I think there's still a difference. There's part of the user experience there. Yep. But if you're demoing the equivalent of a Surface Pro... Uh, the the big selling point, the the wow aha factor that I get from the airport experience, I've had that same same deal is when I can flip over and run whatever right. desktop app that they need is critical, right. along with all the the yeah. nice little flashy things. Right for me, it's when I'm sitting on a plane, I'm connected to the plane's Wi-Fi. Yeah, I get an email that has a Word doc attached to it. Yeah, I open it up, I save it, I save it to SkyDrive, and I email it back to my client yeah. in the air. Yeah, that's nice. Sam, what's been your experience so far? It's been great so far. Um, I think the dev story and the customer adoption is picking up. Mm -hmm. The dev story is nice. Uh, where we have had some success is wherever you have an enterprise with technicians going out to the field. Oh, yeah. They love the fact that they can bring in these devices more so on the pro side because you can domain join them. 
But um, even the RT devices, they love the fact that your .NET devs, which many enterprises are Microsoft shops, and they can leverage their own devs to build these apps which are useful for the technicians, maybe even like C-level execs who just want to see summary information. Right. So we have also uh, partnered with Microsoft on the MAP program and built uh, several line of business and some like B2C apps. So there is uh, adoption on an uptick, I would say. I'm interested in the line of business apps. What do those look like? They look like um, there is a balance between too flashy yeah. and something which is enterprise friendly. Yeah. So it's it's obviously full on touch. It's very friendly. Yeah. But it's uh, it has the branding of the enterprise that you're building it for, and it has the same look and feel and the navigation style of most Windows 8 a apps. Horizontal scrolling kind of thing. Yes. Do people really like that? They do actually. They yeah. don't mind at all. What about really utilizing the hardware stuff like cameras, accelerometers, things like that? We have had some in, um, exposure to that because there were some power and light companies right. which wanted to take the tablets into the field and right. kind of mark, okay, this is a um, transformer I'm looking at. What's wrong with it? Let me take a live feed, push it back to my engineer in the back end and see what's going on. Maybe right. we can do augmented reality on it. We can pull up the device information, put it on the screen with them so that they have a better feel of what's going on. And, and you know, it's interesting to bring uh, a Surface Pro out in the field because it's not actually a hardened machine. Okay. You know, I've I played with Panasonic Toughbooks where you literally could throw them around the room or I've watched an F-150 drive over one. Like, right. Yeah, I, I, you could do that to a Surface Pro once. Right. But, uh, you know, I don't think it would survive it. I, I don't know how tough they actually are, you know, but it just doesn't seem like that's what they've been built for. Didn't they have a, a video where somebody was doing skateboarding on the surface? I think they're <laughs> strong enough. You think so? You haven't had a problem having them in the field? Not really. Maybe they have just not well, anybody been that can up twirl that them much. around their neck like those dancers do. Man, I don't know. Yeah, they can take anything. So, that, so that brings up an interesting point. Uh, without MS in the room, so I look at that as a non-ideal marketing solution. So the twirling around the neck. The, the oh, twirling around the neck, the, the, the brat, the break dancing, yeah. the skateboarding. I look at it as where can I find a success? Is showing a, a relatively close up shot of the device and having somebody's hand on screen showing uh, showing how to interact, how the user experience works. So they, it's it's not subliminal, but it's 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 explicitly showing them without actually drawing attention to it. Right. So then when they go to their fries or their Best Buy or they pick it up with somebody in the airport, they just know. And that happens with other devices, and I don't see that you happening. You get the feeling that there's a sort of a tacit uh, insult to their uh, potential consumer audience that, you know, they think that they're, you know, sh- sheepishly silly, will go along with the coolest thing without really understanding the stuff. Yeah. You know, and they're really talking to, you know, Android and iPhone users, I think. Yep. You know, and, and I don't know whether that's what, you know, comes across or not, but, you know, a cynical view anyway. Yeah, I just I would like to see it a little bit differently because as I go through providing, you know, discussions and training and stuff, every time I have to go through and do that. But if I see people introduced to an iPad for the first time and they're like, "Oh, I've never seen this," and they sit right down and they get it. Now, granted, the 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 UI or the user experience of iOS is really just a desktop with icons, so it's not as complex, I would argue. But hopefully that. Uh, at some point, less training needs to be done on that. Well, and you know what? The, the people who like iPads don't like them because you're breakdancing around them. They like them because you can sit and touch it and move around things. And Yeah. Right. So point well taken. Um, Value Act has invested $2 billion in Microsoft. This is a, an investor that 
typically goes in and uh, takes a big stake in a company and then tries to influence them to sort of, you know, do things right the way that they see they should be done. Do you think that's a, a good sign for, uh, uh, you know, for the future of Microsoft? What do you think about that? I'd like to know what you think about that, Richard. Uh, I think, you you know, turns out billion's still a big number. You know, don't ask Congress, but, but every, they're the ones who said a billion here, a billion there. Pretty soon you talk about real money. There's no investment firm in the world that drops two billion on anything unless they're pretty serious about it being successful. I mean, the stock is clearly undervalued. That's the presumption. Yeah. You know, it's still the market cap on the, on Microsoft's pretty epic. Two billion doesn't represent a huge chunk of that's, the company. That's either. true. Right. But, uh, so you gotta really think, well, we're not, they're not going to move the stock because of the size of the investment or the fact that they get a board seat because none of that is true. Yeah. They think it's actually going to move upward. But they're sort of classified value act as like an activist investor. Like they, they do this for a reason. Yeah. You know, they're, they, they think they have some influence. Yeah. I yeah. think it, I think it's very interesting and it's a big bet. So. But what does it say for, you know, what, obviously there are people out there who think Microsoft is undervalued. They think that obviously somebody's putting up their money thinking that, you know, Microsoft is a good long-term bet. Uh, you know, I'm wondering if, uh, after the Gartner report came out. Yeah. Right. Well, so maybe not. That, that's what, that's what came up in my mind as well yeah. is correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's where they undervalued the future of the laptop market for they separated out the ultrabook market. Right. Yeah. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. And, and really we're seeing mass increase in the ultrabook market. So Windows 8 is going to raise in at least comparable figures to the drop of what's happening in the laptop. Yeah. Well, I love Gartner makes this report about Microsoft being doomed the same quarter that Microsoft posts the best quarter in their history. Yeah. Right. So, uh, but I, I also get your point about the laptop versus ultrabook because I think the Lenovo, between the Lenovo Carbon and the new Asus UX, uh, and the, Sony BIOS oh, are great too. Like I mean, those are all... phenomenal machines and they're yeah. all win eight machines. Yeah. You know, I think for a long time, the, the Mac Air was the best laptop you could buy. And it's just not the case anymore. I, I think it's the carbon. I don't own one, but when I talk to, to folks, you know, yeah. you're getting one, aren't you, Greg? Yeah, I plan to. Yeah. It seems like the, like the best laptop that exists right now. So is here's carbon. an, here's an anecdote and I, it's only one, right? So. Uh, stepdaughter number two mm-hmm. goes, needs a laptop for her birthday. Her old laptop's wearing out. Took her to Best Buy and I said, you tell me which one you want, but try them all. And for her, it was the keyboard that yeah. had to, it was all about the keyboard and the mouse pet and mouse and all that. Mm-hmm. How that feels. What did she get? So she got a Sony Vio, but the reason that, uh, that it's interesting is that I said, and, you know, check out the touch stuff. And she tried it for literally, 30 seconds and said, okay, I want touch. And then, um, you know, got the keyboard that she wanted. And I said, well, the Windows 8 stuff, have you seen that? And she's like, yeah, I'm not worried about that. I'll figure that out. Like, you know, that was not a big deal. But, you know, you, now you make a the case for the goofy, spinning, flippy yoga ads because in the end, the OS didn't matter. Yeah, the OS didn't matter. The touch mattered and the feel of the keyboard and the mouse right. mattered. Made the buying decision. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and I mean, you're right. I mean, sexy hardware has its own feel. I mean, you look at the Acer Inspire or even your Acer. My little um, Asus here, yeah, yeah, it's pretty. Uh, I mean, hardware well married with software, it, it does sell. And yeah. I mean, Apple has proved that again and again. And I think the Microsoft OEMs are starting to catch up. This portion of the tablet show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? 
I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting the Tablet Show. Now, can you sell sexy hardware in the enterprise? You know, we, we referenced uh, Rocky's discussion about the RT experience in the enterprise at, at the top of the show here. And, and you guys all know that the sideloading story isn't good. You know, it's it's not good. And, you know, I just don't think we have the pieces in place for the enterprise. Would we, we, you agree with me, Sam? Yes. I think we're all waiting for Blue to have some sort of an answer. We're all waiting for right. Blue, huh? And, I mean, yeah. if Microsoft isn't talking a whole lot, like you were saying, I mean, they're possibly having a good plan behind the scenes, which is hopefully yeah. going to come out. Um, but you're right. I mean, for the time being, the deployment story isn't nice. It's a little better with enterprise domain joint uh, devices, but for RT devices, you have to have a production key and the encryption to yeah. be turned on before you can have the group domain policy. Yeah, and like to we did on. that show, it's like, and it's related to the device. So if right. someone brings their device from home, you have to spend the license key on that device, and it right. stays with that device. That device leaves. So, Honestly, I think they'd be crazy if they didn't uh, address that issue in this release. That I, it's a good time, especially uh, seeing as how what they planned with the consumers didn't work in their favor. So I agree, and having provided in, in the last month two different courses on MAP to large-level enterprise clients that everybody would recognize, mm-hmm. one comment is a lot of them had not had experience with touch, and they were able to take home the uh, Surface Pro, which was given to them for three days, and they found themselves after that going up wanting to reach their monitors or their laptop. Touch everything. Yep. So, so the adoption there from the developer side is quick, uh, but... From the the enterprise level deployments, they immediately all were like, "Well, yeah, the, the sexiness wasn't so much a factor, but getting that deployment strategy in place with side loading or or Intune and stuff, it just it was a very negative point wrapping up the three days in, in all those conversations." Showstop. Yeah, at, at this yeah, point, it much. seemed like it. Mitch. Well, yeah, I was just saying. I think on top of on top of some of that, what I see with the certain enterprises that I've worked with, right? You are dealing with an enterprise that may still be on Windows XP. Yeah, yeah um, that's true. And oh. at least that's what I see in, in my areas. I The largest enterprise that we have around is 100% Windows XP. So getting them to, I mean, Windows 7 has been a ridiculous nightmare. So this some of that ends up being a bigger hurdle because then you know they've now just kind of stopped because with the story not being great, for Windows 8. Well, they don't want to go to Windows 8 yet, but why go to Windows 7 when we're going to something behind the scenes, you know, and behind the times? So I think that's a little bit of it, too. And wow, I think, an excuse to stay with XP. Yes. Is that no, really that, what no, we're talking is, about? No, that is pretty much what it's... When you ask the enterprise people that are in charge, that's the decision they're making right now, which is 
we're not going to go to Win to Win Seven and upgrade hardware to work with Win Seven, you know, because they have also they're running on ridiculous. I mean, they're running on boat anchors for laptops. So if, if that's the case, let's fast forward less mm-hmm. than a year now, yep. where XP is retired and they can still run it, but they won't get updates to Internet Explorer and the firewall and other things. So since they're still running IE6, I'm not sure they'll be. All <laughs> oh wait a minute! Now I thought. No, I understand your point. <laughs> Once XP expires that life cycle in 2014, or yeah. less than a year from now, they won't even get hotfix updates, though. Yeah, that's it's going to. But they're also still running VB6. I thought one of the greatest selling points of Windows 7, and by extension Windows 8, even more so was the fact that it runs in less memory and on lesser hardware than XP does. Yeah, it does, and, and, I, and I, I would agree. I think the thing what they're looking at is, is it's well leaving well enough alone is what I'm seeing in some of the larger enterprises. Yeah, the bigger where, thing here is their hardware is six, seven, eight years right, old. Right, their hardware it, is they, they're going to have to start replacing, and, yeah. that's, and that's the big thing I think is going to push them forward. It's just where are they going to go? I don't see them going to eight, um, but I see that the more and more you get your employees at home, they're upgrading their home computers, and they're getting used to touch. And they're going to be demanding this They're, they're going to be demanding touch, because yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, it's what ended up getting me to go to Windows 8 for everything with my business, mm. was I was traveling with an old laptop that wasn't touch-enabled. I had Windows 8, and every time I was sitting here at a conference trying to do something, I'd try to just tap the screen to do something, and it doesn't do anything. Yeah. You know, and it got to that point where it became second nature, and I think you'll start to see that, and that might influence the enterprise, especially if you get your execs, right? You put something like that in the hands of an exec and they can interact with it fluidly. So let me check this out. Change. Do you think enterprises are going to wait for nine? Is that blue? No. no it, blue's blue is 8.1. right? Yeah. I don't think they have to. Because, I mean, we have, we have actually seen both sides of the coin. We have gone into enterprises which are big and has the same story. They're running XP. But they also see that there could be a potential jump if they just equip a part of the enterprise with lighter tablets that makes them more um, productive at home or in the field. On the flip side, what we are seeing is there are smaller enterprises yeah. which maybe having access or Excel or like even paper drive some of their business workflows. So we're able to take that and digitize them and kind of maybe prevent an iOS device coming in, which they're happy to, and, and we are happy to do iOS as well. But there are security concerns and whatnot if you're if you're a Microsoft. Yeah, shop. don't just brush over that. That's a big deal. I know. Yes, it is. Uh, like yeah. there's there's been companies that I know of have stopped doing uh, iPad orders. Uh, you know, yep. whether it's government type contracts that they're involved in or whatnot, but not having that integration with Active Directory and, and the domain in, in, in a proper sense. Yeah. Is a showstopper because effectively what they're reduced to is HTTPS communication on the iPad and the browser. Yeah, the, the other option right. I've seen for the iPad in that enterprise scenario is the Zen desktop. It's just virtualized everything. There's nothing, especially when you deal with uh, bring your own device. Like you can't domain join somebody else's iPad. Not that you can domain join any iPad, but suppose somebody brings a Surface Pro to work. It's their Surface Pro. Can you actually reasonably enforce group policy on somebody else's machine? It just doesn't make sense. So yeah. that gets that's a, it's a little tricky because you can get hybrid with it. Like, so what I do with one of my devices, I have my domain account and my personal Live ID account associated together. And so what that that allows me to do is when I log in with my domain account, I can sync, and they give you a nice like thirty different choices checkbox. 
that I can say, okay, I want to sync my email and whatever else. But when you do that, you're explicitly giving domain administrators access to that information. Right. right. That's the caveat. But you can do it and you can kind of merge that, that scenario from, from both worlds. Now, I want to, I wanted to revisit the adoption, whether it's Windows 8 or Windows 9. Right. I have a different philosophy on this. I think that it's Xbox. I, I think the next version of Xbox, if it comes through with a Metroist style interface, which we'll, we'll find out sometime. May 21st. Yeah, May, May 21st. They just announced it earlier this week. I think if that gets into households and with the success of that and, and the market penetration it can have, you're going to see kids and then you're going to see that in people's houses on their TVs and parents are going to see it. And I think that can help drive adoption. So you get retroactive. Dad, I want a 65 inch touch TV. <laughs> I'm just saying it, it's something to consider. I'm not now, are, sold are you on it. Talking in context of driving consumer demand or driving enterprise demand? Both. Because those are the people that make the decisions. Yeah, the so consumer brings it, the device into the enterprise. I can see it influencing all around. Right. Once you get somebody using the platform, that's going to drive adoption in on the enterprise side, right? Kind of to what I was alluding to a little bit with what I was saying a minute ago is you get that exact using Win 8 at home, they get used to That's Win how 8. iPads have ended up in the enterprise first no, that, place. Exactly, right? right? And CTO I, and shows up with one, and now what are you going to do? And, and now he says, I want to use this though. for work. Yeah. So if you can start doing the same thing with, um, with Windows, and I actually think the Xbox is a really it, that could be a very interesting story in right, because terms of helping it because you're, you're you know developed for one. So with whatever comes out of build in relation to Windows Phone, we're talking phone, tablet, ultrabook, laptop, eighty mm-hmm. inch TV, where common experience. Yeah, as long as you're developing a C sharp Xamarin, you bet. Just saying. Just well, saying. We'll, we'll see, right? <laughs> I, think, who, I mean, who at knows? this point, yeah, know, at this point, obviously, yeah. that, that's the only platform seems to work across all of them. I mean, it'll Correct. be really interesting to see what that new Xbox looks like. Where, where is XNA going to land in this? Because so far, the XNA story in the Windows 8 world seems pretty grim. And, and I agree with your point. Obviously, if you want to develop and have it really across Xbox as well as all the others, whatever Windows Phone decides to do, um, but that's really from the developer side. I think from the adoption, the consumer side of just u- the user experience, I think is the more important uh, factor in the success of the overall platform. I think, you know, you, now that I think about it with the Xbox and Smart Glass, which is, you know, the ability to use your uh, Surface or Windows 8 touch device as a second screen with the Xbox, that could certainly yeah. help. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've yet to see a second screen story that blew my mind. And I think it's waiting to happen. Yeah. You know, you watch folks... When a, when a major, you know, when the first Mad Men new season episode came on, Twitter was alight with it. So clearly people were sitting with their laptops or their tablet devices while they were watching Mad Men and talking to each other via Twitter, which is a pretty clunky solution. Like it could be done better. It's also a little Borg like, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, if I was the networks and I'm terrified of PVRs and time shifting and all that sort of thing, the opportunity to have a shared experience among multiple people around yeah. the broadcast of a show that, sure. you know, because normally it only happens to sporting events. Right. Right. Like Twitter's basically blown the Olympics up. Yeah, that's the right. The moment anybody wins a race, <laughs> it's out on Twitter before it's out even on the TV. <laughs> I think there's a huge second screen potential here. And, you know, Greg's hinting at all the pieces. It's the Xbox. And it's that second screen, whatever it is, whether right. it's the phone or the tablet and so forth. And mm-hmm. you do that right, you're going to change the market. 
But I, and I, I want to drill further in this consumer side of this thing. Cause I, I, have you guys put apps into the store yes. for consumers? Yes. yes. Uh, Greg has. Mitch, you done yep. this yet? Yeah. Sam done it too. Me to see. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm still looking for, you know, one of the things that made the Apple App Store hugely successful was the pack of people going, I am now a millionaire because I put a store, an app in that store. Right. Where are the Windows 8 App Store millionaires? So I don't know if there's millionaires yet. Um, there hasn't been a lot of public uh, declaration that I've seen of, of that. I bet there's hundred airs. There there are definitely hundred airs. Dozen airs. No, <laughs> dozen airs. There, there we go. There are there are hundred air. There are hundred thousand airs. Yeah. yeah sure. Right? So they've come out declaratively stating so where uh, most recently, uh, one of the Microsoft employees himself, on on his own time, spent like three or four weeks, put out a a, a card game for free, and has now made over a hundred thousand using primarily ads. Wow! Yeah, he's made in the last six months. Month. Yeah, thirty yep. grand a month. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it's the market would be terribly upset with thirty grand a month for <laughs> pa- as passive income. Right. Right. I think it's it really comes down to having the idea and then getting it out there. I think that what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing from some people is like there's a there's an individual, um, another MVP that I think he's built like 300 apps or something like that. Adley Hunter. Hunter. Yeah. Hunter. yeah, right. He's gone through right, and and I was talking with him a little bit, you know, at one point, and it's like as you get, you know, it's which one sticks. I yeah. think is what a lot of it comes down to right now. You know, with with the adoption of like the Apple App Store and things like that, right? You can put about anything out there and it's just going to catch and it's going to, you'll catch some niche market just because that number of users. I think as the number of users goes up, I think that the App Store experience and the, so, and that pull and demand for earnings will get there. I just don't think we have enough, so I don't we, think we have enough sales yet. So I know previously on the show we talked about percentage of, of active iOS users and stuff. That's from my understanding with like IDC and Gartner. That's really only about 200 million active iOS devices. Only, only, but in a the world, in the in the world, that's that's not that much, right? And, and that's the thing is, is that's where I think I think the potential is there when you look at the number of Windows devices in comparison to the iOS devices. Well, and some and other, I think it's 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 just getting that right app or fit, fitting in that right niche with. But I do right think this, is a, this gets back to my original question about metro users, folks that are living yep. in that space. I mean, we certainly we were hearing about how many Windows 8 licenses are out there. Yep. And it doesn't correspond nicely to the metro-centric hardware like RT. Yeah. And, so we don't really know what the metro user yeah, so, is. So, yeah, I agree. And Microsoft knows that. Yeah. Because, like, so when we publish our apps, you can go into your dashboard and see how many users open the app for that day and the, the time that they've used that app for that mm-hmm. day. Interesting. Yep. Uh, you can also tell if they're male, female, or undefined. You can see your crash reports. I mean, the dashboard's actually pretty nice. But nice. So the, those metrics are being saved somewhere. Yeah. Now, do you guys read the news uh, recently about uh, the decline in use of Objective-C? I did not. Okay, no, so there, I've seen a graph in terms of languages being used, and Objective-C has been on this huge curve up, and for the first time, it dropped a few percentages. Like it's down for the first time since it's really been popular. In other words, yeah, you know, and really been popular. So we've been developing less apps for for, uh, and it's iPhone. been around for decades. So I mean, it's not like it was new with i with iOS. But in, in that regard, it's interesting because 
if you compare it to the other platforms with, say, C Sharp and Java being managed, uh, not that Objective C isn't, but it just it has some older feel to it uh, in the sense of trying to be uh, efficient and quick steps uh, in producing the equivalent on the other languages. And, and when you look at that, from a developer standpoint, would you choose to go into Objective-C over Java or C-sharp? Well, the more, more interesting thing to me is that, does that point to a decline in the number of apps that are being written for iOS? And, and my, my point where I was going to go is that I think the reason Objective-C was successful was that's where the money is. That's where right. the money was. Re- I don't regardless, know the money's there anymore. Yeah, yeah with, without, regardless of what the developer wanted. And so now if, if they're starting to get saturated, developers may have that freedom of choice. Well, I, I see 800,000 apps in the App Store as a disaster. Yeah, that, You can't find anything. And if you deploy into it, you don't get anything. Yeah, I think that's the big thing. I think the big successes that I've heard of people, too, with uh, Windows 8 were the ones that were in early, were some of the ones yeah. that were getting the biggest thing because they were the one when there was only 15 apps in their category. Well, boom, they were already there, and it kind of helped sure. feed them so to the top. So, so I think as it gets saturated... It's like a birdie made off pyramid scheme, right? <laughs> as long as you're in early, everything's good. But I mean, it's a, it's a problem that we are going to have to deal with, even in Windows 8 and I mean, Windows well, 4. Well, it seems to me Microsoft is consciously driving themselves into that same disaster. Yeah, because I mean, the more apps you have, the harder is the discoverability problem, sure. and then you have to market your apps and follow up with social feeds and whatnot. So so it's, it's interesting when you look at so I know Atlee and have talked to him about that with doing yep. Windows Phone and, and Windows 8 apps. I don't have a problem pumping out that many apps. What, what I like to think of is really doing one thing and doing it well in an app. Mm-hmm. And I think that even ties back to the enterprise where the enterprise is used to saying, this app does all 30 things we need. Yes. When they really should be splitting it up into more apps, but also putting the quality in there. So making sure the user experience and the, the graphics and design is done well. I think that's a powerful message. Like rather than just say putting out three hundred with well, just basic graphic or like basic colors. And that that begs a different that bugs a little bit of a different question though too, right? So you have two different models that you can see people deploying apps into the store. Right? You have the people that are pumping and dumping apps, right? And they're simple apps, they don't have the greatest UI sometimes, right? But you're talking about an app that has a price point of one dollar or two dollars. Right? Right. Or you have that person that takes the time to make it a nice, polished app. But that's your app that becomes $10, $20, or some other right. price point. Mm. So when you're in a sea of 99 cent apps. $1.49. Or dollar, <laughs> sorry, $1.49. Yes. When you're in a sea of $1.49 apps, how do you, you know, does that have an impact on you trying to go that route of making that app that really does things well? well I love this idea that you would make your app stand out by charging twenty bucks for it. Well, I mean, the, the thing is, though, is, is I mean, you do right yeah. when you look at when you look at the the app stores. I mean, you can look at the Windows Store already, but then even looking at the um, Apple App Store, right? It's very hard to find an app that's more than like four ninety nine. Right. Right. It's very very hard. So that. To a certain extent, right, you have to have volume to get a return on that, or you have to have ad revenue. I think there's two different scenarios here for an app, and uh, we're, we're sort of only touching on one, which is discoverability of that app through the App Store. And that's what I think you're talking about when it's, we talk, use the word disaster. Mm-hmm. If, you, if your primary means of getting customers is for people searching for keywords that are general, In that the pull up a search result of thousands of apps, yeah. that is a disaster. But if, you know, I see a lot of 
B2C apps, right, that are branded with the brand of the company. You know, like .NET Rocks, for right. example. Our fans, all we got to do is say, go to the app store, search for .NET Rocks, get our app. There's only one that's going to return. Yep. So the problem comes when you're trying to make some sort of general... Yeah, heaven game. help you if you search for Facebook in the app store. Yeah, exactly. Right. So so, so I think maybe there's a there's still a lot of opportunity for B2C, which, let's face it, you know, that's where the value is for most businesses. Uh, and, you know, it's not in writing bu- in the best fart app, for example. And for any businesses listening on that front, like the three of us have mentioned that MAP program, that's not just business to business. Microsoft with that MAP program is doing B2C. Mm-hmm. So... It, by all means, reach out to Microsoft, get get some love from them, and see what you can do. When I got to think, it when an enterprise builds an internal app for Metro, you've got to completely rethink that app. Yes. The odds are you're taking an existing app. You know, you already talked about this, the ERP app with 151 functions. Right. Like, if you're really thinking in terms of Metro, each one of those functions is an app, and you've got to decompose it across a, a across the. Uh, the metro landscape to make that make sense. Yeah, yeah we, we, we have seen something. that. I mean, we have seen uh, enterprises already having iOS and Android apps, and mm-hmm. now we are being asked to build a Windows 8 part of it, and it's not uh, an apples to apples because we have to break it down and give them a workflow which makes sense in Windows yeah. 8. And when you use Pandora on Windows 8, you shouldn't be feeling like I'm on Windows 8. You should be just using Pandora. Right. It's right. your brand and it's your enterprise. So it, it, it's a careful balance between breaking down their workflow and just trying to figure out what makes sense so in a Windows I, I totally buy that for Pandora, which is clearly a brand. But give me the same story for SAP. Right? Like a real yeah. ERP-style app, which is a monolithic beast that came from a mainframe. And if you really wanted to make that into Metro... It breaks into a lot of different. Well, I think the problem is if you really want to make that into Metro, you know, you're probably going to shave off, you know, 85 percent of that that stuff that can only be done at the desk, or and you then have to rethink the whole workflow. You have to do it differently. But I mean, yeah, if you're first asking yourself the question: Does it make sense to do all this stuff on a tablet? Some stuff it really does, but a lot of it it doesn't. Yeah, I guess that's the question. So, yeah. I, and I, I'll, I'll say this as a as a kind of the opposite side of that. I like the idea of challenging the user experience thought because rather than assuming that the user, because some uh, consumer or business analyst said, I need all 10,000 rows yep. for this one view, yeah. I, like that's happened too much. Yeah. And yeah. so it was always a bad idea. It was always bad. Yes. We just used to be able to give it to them. Right. Now we and, really can't. And now there's good reasons and, and we have more confidence and understanding and lower power consumption issues on tablets and so i think it, it, it becomes more of a forefront issue and it's worth actually considering friends don't let friends select star from customers right <laughs> <laughs> well guys uh, uh sam let's start with you any final thoughts where do you want to go well um i from the bottom of my heart i love windows 8 i love the dev story i love the user interface even without a touch keyboard I mean, or a touch monitor, I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, the speed at which um, mm. it runs all your desktop apps is just great. Over Windows 7, I take Windows 8 every day. Me too. Having said that, it's their first iteration, and there are some rough edges around deployment, around security, um, especially in, in an enterprise. Um, and I'm sure over the next couple of years, it will get ironed out. So uh, I think I'm, I'm okay with the direction that Microsoft is taking. The one OS over a split between mobile and desktop. Yeah, so, so Chad made a great point. It was six months ago today that Win 8 shipped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Under a veil of great secrecy. So we basically started six months ago. 
Right. So, Sam, when Windows Blue comes out here, what if, if there's a particular feature that if it's not in there, you'll really be upset? What is that going to be? Um, I want better protection for apps as they're being deployed. Because I don't know if you guys heard the story yet. Um, as you are downloading an app from the Windows Store today, it's an AppX package that's been downloaded, and it just goes whoop and gives you the entire code base. With in the HTML JavaScript world, it's your source code. It's a little better on C-sharp XAML, but you can still reflect on it. And there are some security holes. I mean, if you happen to put your Azure secret or your Twitter client secret in your source code, well, 99% of the time you're fine, but the, the one malicious user is going to go and look one at it. One good black hat can ruin your right. whole day. Yeah. Well, it's not a matter of good design, though. I mean, you know. True. But, I mean, if you have service integration, try putting everything on the service yeah. side, minimum. But... Right. Still, it's a little scary to see, to know that my users might be able to see my source code. Yeah. So, a little better story on the deployment, a little better story on the security front, and I'm, I'm happy. Certainly the deployment is my, yes. my thing. If they, yeah. if they haven't nailed side loading in Windows Blue, I'm going to be mad. Yes. Mitch? Mitch? You know, from my perspective, I would agree with Sam to, you know, a lot of it. I'm, I've been a Windows 8 user since the early RCs and betas, and all of my devices are on it. I like it. Um, there's definitely places for refinement, but I think it's it's better um, than Windows 7. There is a learning curve, but I find that, you know, I think that um, his point earlier about the marketing, um, I think that on top of anything with Blue to make things a little bit better in true functionality, I think that Microsoft's marketing could help bridge some of that in how do we use it because I think the thing is, is you get you give somebody a Windows 8 device, you give them five minutes, they've got it. Yep. And they love it. It's just that you, you know, it's the same thing I see with Windows Phone and some of the other stuff. You've got to give them five minutes and you've got to get them that device in their hand. So if you can take and limit some of that to where they don't have to actually play with one to be sold on it, where they can be sold on it before they get there, I think that that's the biggest thing. Um, enterprise, you know, side load and stuff like that, I think is one of the big things that really needs to be there because that's going to get. Yeah, enterprise. and I really like this idea of you, you want them coming in the door saying, I want the experience from the commercial. And right. Being you, able to do a backflip with a surf right. in the back you, of your neck you, is knit. Right. You want, you want them to go to the store and you want them to go to the window store. I mean, the thing I find really funny, I don't know if any of you have been to the Mall of America, but it's the one place in the U.S. where you have a Microsoft store directly across the hall from an Apple store. Yeah. Um, by far, one of the most hilarious things to sit and people watch. Because oh, yeah. you have people that will get distracted by the people, or by the kids playing with the Kinect, with the Xbox, at the front of the Microsoft store. They were going to go to the Apple store. <laughs> yeah. But then they got distracted by the kids... They play with a device and they walk out with a Surface. I've seen it happen. It's really cool. Yeah. Right? So if they can get it to where you don't have to, you know, ambush the person before they go to the Apple store, I think it would help. Clearly right. they need to put, just put shrubs around the Apple store, <laughs> tackle people and toss them in the other store. Well, that would work too. <laughs> well, um, you might get in trouble for that though. No, details. I'm sure the Microsoft store story is fine, but. I would really like the Best Buy stories to improve. That's interesting, yeah. Because yeah, there's the, only a handful of Microsoft stories. Yeah, well, that's oh, a, only really, a handful that's of Best Buy. That's a long story. <laughs> so it's not that long. Actually, I made a note to follow up as what I was going to close with here. Two points. One, when I whenever I walk into Best Buys, I see the Apple stand and I see 
the, the Android, thing. the Android, and then I do actually see the Surface ones now with with and the, like a no, Lenovo or Asus. But the problem is, is when those get installed, there's two things that are wrong. They don't have Alison Brown set up, the fake account, so that they actually can see the, the live tiles and whatnot in action. Right. And they also leave the power management feature set to power off after 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. So it's true. I've actually just taken, I'll totally admit this, I'll, I've taken to just logging in Alison Brown and changing the power, the power settings to be always on. Because, to help Best Buy. Because when they when a family comes up and they see the iPad, I'd sit back in Best Buy, little people watching, and they'd see this lit up and they'll go over there. And they see that one over there and they think it's broke or it doesn't work. Yep. And, and, and it's not that it. good. I actually had that same experience in the, just last week. Uh, so from a developer's perspective, I know I, I bashed a little bit of the marketing here. Uh, I would like to close on one of the best things I've ever seen Microsoft or any other development community or company do is come out with all these samples on dev.windows.com. Yeah. yeah. That is a phenomenal effort that has made it great for everyone here to yep. get out and get started doing and uh, Windows 8 development and making those apps. So many great samples. If you haven't checked out dev.windows.com, do that. Well, guys, thank you. That's the show. A big hand for our panelists, Sam, Mitch, and Greg. And we'll see you next time on the Tablet Show.